0: 30 for 30 podcasts are brought to you by OnStar. For over two decades, OnStar has been giving their members peace of mind behind the wheel. Now, no one likes to think about getting in a crash, but it happens more than we care to admit. If it happens in an OnStar-equipped vehicle, you have people looking out for you. With automatic crash response, special sensors can alert OnStar advisors of an impact, They can connect to your vehicle, take stock of the situation, and get you the help you need, even if you can't ask for it yourself. Because when the unexpected happens out on the road, the last thing you want is to be alone. OnStar is available on Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, and Cadillac. OnStar, be safe out there. Automatic crash response requires OnStar plan, working electrical system, cell reception, and GPS signal. OnStar links to emergency services. Limitations apply. Visit OnStar.com for details. Hello and welcome to the 30 for 30 podcast. My name is Jody Avergan. Our special summer series continues. This is day two. We are marking the 10th anniversary of 30 for 30, the film series. Conversations with directors, subjects and more. Today, a director who is behind a whole bunch of these films, including some fan favorites, some of my favorites. Jonathan Hawke's first 30 for 30 was 2010's The Best That Never Was. The film follows the early career highs and eventual lows of star high school running back Marcus Dupree. If he had never gotten hurt,
1: I think he could have been as good as he wanted to be.
0: In my opinion and in my heart, he's going to be the best running back to me ever. He was just that good. Since then, Hawk has directed five other 30 for 30s, including Survive and Advance, which tells the story of Jim Valvano, Jimmy V, and NC State's miracle run to college basketball's national championship in 1983. Our
1: coach said to us that we are going to win the national championship. So it's part us, it's part destiny, it's part miracle. All of the above.
0: And then there's Of Miracles and Men, which flips our perspective on the 1980 miracle on ice to the Soviet player's point of view. If we prove that we are strong in sport, it shows that country is developing and we are still alive. His most recent film in the series is The Dominican Dream. I was a star. People be like, that's Felipe Lopez. That's Felipe. He's the new Dominican Jordan. That's what people were referring to him as, the Dominican Jordan. This is the story of Felipe Lopez, often considered a high school phenom who went bust, but the film looks at how there are other ways to measure his success. The expectation that if you're not the single best player who has ever engaged in the sport, that you're a failure. It's crazy. So Jonathan Hawk is here to talk about that full range of work and more, Welcome to the 30 for 30 podcast. Thank you. Happy anniversary. Yeah. So um, you've made a bunch of films, which I think I can characterize as fan favorites. Some of my favorites, certainly. You're also the director. We looked it up. Who has done the most 30 for 30. So can you name in order all of the 30 for 30s that you've directed? That I've directed.
1: Let's see. Let's start with The Best That Never Was. Correct. Followed by Unguarded. Yeah. Survive in Advance. Mm-hmm. Of Miracles and Men, Uh followed by One and Not Done, The Calipari Story, and uh, now, I guess, uh, The Dominican Dream. Okay, you've passed the test. That is correct.
0: That's That's a lot. Let's start with, actually, The Best That Never Was, the first one you did. So as you started looking into Marcus Dupree's story, I mean, did you have a sense of how legendary a figure he was and how epic his achievements as a high schooler were? yeah the the best I never was was a story
1: that I'd been carrying around with me for a while. and you know Marcus and I are exactly the same age, and I sort of came of age as a football fan sports fan at the same time he was exploding on the national imagination. This is pre youtube and everything of yeah. course, so growing up in parallel to him and wishing I was this six three two hundred and thirty pound who could run the Hundred and under ten seconds, um, but having him be that person that I had never seen play, and the the legend and was the high school. What must it have been like to watch this young man carry the ball in high school? If you never saw him when he was in his prime, then you really can't imagine how athletic he was. It was indescribable. I had never seen anybody that big run that fast. Watching Marcus was like watching the rest of the field in slow motion.
0: Once he took one step past the
1: line of scrimmage, you could forget it. I mean, the guy just, he was
0: Superman.
1: I mean, in college, it was sort of a miraculous freshman season and half a season, basically. He rewrites the record book. But that was well documented. Everybody saw that. And he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and that made him a singularly, you know, noteworthy character as a college player. But the high school was the myth. The, uh, the high school was
0: really the draw. But I mean, were you nervous about going that small, if that's the right word, well, or obscure uh, or hidden? or?
1: I was the opposite. I was excited that now I'm going to be able to tell this. The smallness of it in terms of Marcus's name recognition at that time on a national level was really attractive to me because it gave me the full license to create the story that I knew, the story that I'd been carrying around with me because he came from this mythical place of Philadelphia, Mississippi, where the worst thing ever happened, you know, the murder of the three civil rights workers. James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner went to Mississippi to help register Negroes as voters, Dead, brutalized, murdered at the hands of some evil individual. The whole county, the whole town, to a degree, the whole state, bore the stain of what happened. There was a time that Philadelphia, Mississippi withdrew from the world and the world from Philadelphia, Mississippi, and both seemed to prefer it that way. That, That Mississippi burning incident had that... Uh, magnitude of larger than life and then this incredible talent African American comes out of that same place. It, it just seemed like when Marcus was running the ball at Philadelphia High School at that particular time this community came together They won. We were probably more proud than he was. It was amazing to go there on Friday nights. Black people white people sitting together. Fifteen years before that, that would have been uh, so foreign. It was more than just football that was taking place in this town. It was healing. And, and then he disappears. This was something I couldn't shake. And to explore that story on my own terms as a director, rarely do you get a story that nobody else really knows the day the doctors told my mom that there's nothing else they could do. I just asked her, did I make her proud? Did I do enough to make her proud? And and she was like, yeah, you did a lot. But I just didn't feel like it.
0: I've spent the last week or so rewatching a lot of your films and have been trying to think about a lot of the unifying themes. And in that film, The Best It Never Was is, I think, something that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. But, you know, this idea of someone looking back, you know, this isn't just the Marcus Dupree story, A to B to C to D, he was really good. But it's about him reflecting, Uh, you know, survive in advance is about players 30 years later looking back at that NC State team. So is there something about I don't know if it's regret at the heart of all of these or whatever, but you know what is it about that looking back, not just telling the story, but capturing someone looking back on their own story that that feels like it's something you want to keep going back to. I think that
1: that regret is part of it, uh, but that's not the whole point. I mean, the point is everything other than regret. You know, all the joys and triumphs in life are fleeting, and there are few things in the world that are more intensely satisfying than a sports victory or a sports achievement or triumph and there are few things that are as irretrievable as those triumphs once they're in the past it couldn't be any other way it's not like oh i did something wrong but um you know wow this time has passed since then and i'm not there anymore and part of me really wishes i could be in America, people always want me to talk about the
0: miracle on us. You believe in miracles? Yes! But we made our own miracles. And that's what I want to talk about. So let's talk about some of the other films. I mean, you mentioned Miracles and Men. Was that one that intimidated you to take this greatest moment in American you know, sports history and just flip to the other side? That was the
1: one that the idea I knew wouldn't miss. That was the one I knew that this is going to be
0: great. You're not worried that, oh, i an American audience isn't going to care about. I never felt that that it would be anything other than completely
1: fascinating because this is the story Americans know better than any other. And they always want to watch, it seems, but. The Russian hockey players were really mystified at the whole thing. Like, like the whole thing of you coming over and wanting to tell yeah, story. the story. Yeah, this was like, first of all, these are Americans. They're just going to make us look bad. Second of all, what is the big deal? These were guys with like 58 gold medals and one silver. so they And, and they didn't see the silver being a very right. big deal. Um, so – there's a moment in the film where Boris Mikhailov, who was the captain, and I asked him if he ever saw the film Miracle. Did you see the movie Miracle? Look. The American. Miracle. And he looked at me like I was from Mars. It's Why would I watch that where film? I I watch? You know, I'm going to watch a film about me. I'm not going to watch a film about them. It's, so we were dealing with a, a severe case of skepticism on their part, and it was not at all what they were expecting. They were not expecting to be treated as human beings, uh, with dignity and greatness.
0: And then how, what was the process like going down the road of just really feeling like it expands to talk about Soviet sports history in general and an understanding of this moment? in the larger context of Soviet sports history and it being sort of just another little moment, whereas in this country it is just this massive moment and, you know, you sort of take a different lens. You know, I just started reading, which is always where I start, just
1: start reading everything I can about the subject. And there were these books by Tarasov, the uh, coach, the founding coach of the Soviet team. And I was just he was brilliant, he was eloquent, he was poetic he was uh, he was just inspiring and and the truths that he was saying about sports uh, was it was like he was a philosopher and he was brilliant and I just followed that thread and then he was replaced by his philosophical opposite, uh, Tikanoff, who was the pure technocrat who had not a romantic, sell in his body. You can again control everything. What kind of apartment you're going to leave, uh, if you get new car or not. He said, look, players, they should be motivated that they have to prove against the coach something. Coach is like a uh, guy with a whip at the plantation. The players probably achieved greater success under him but they hated it yeah, and they hated him and that was uh, that was their downfall with the Americans they they were human beings with deep emotions and deep caring about what they were doing uh, but they weren't allowed to be that way under Tikhanov and when the moment forced them to summon something other than their technical skills they didn't have it you Put your players in a position where they have the best chance uh, to succeed, but you have to be inspired, and, and they don't always get inspired on their own. The coach has to do that.
0: So you bring up inspiring coaches. Of course, let's talk about Jim Valvano.
1: Ralph Waldo Emerson, speaking to graduating class at Harvard, said nothing great has ever been accomplished without enthusiasm. How enthusiastic are you every day? Coach Valvano... Was a big dreamer. His goal was to win the national championship from day one. He said, if I can get you to see what I'm seeing, to dream what I'm dreaming, we can get there. We can win it. This can be the team. That's my dream. Cutting the nets down. And I am going to dream my dream.
0: You know, you take on the subject of that team and him... Did you have a sense of who he was and how mythical of a figure he was going in? And did that change at all as you started to really tell the story? Well, that's what's
1: made that one the most scary one to do because his mythology was already established and it was was intimidating. Like the Dupree example was not intimidating, the smallness of the story, because it gave me all the freedom I wanted to tell the story the way I had and I wouldn't be fighting against other people's preconceptions. With Valvano, it was the opposite problem. It was everybody has a preconceived notion of this man, whatever it is. Um, I remember John Skipper telling me at the time that he thought, you know, he's a Carolina guy and this NC State coach, they thought of him as like a charlatan and a, a, a salesman, a fake. Yeah. And the film really turned him around on that. And that was nice. But but every, the point is that everybody had a preconceived notion of Jim Valvano.
0: He's a little more tactical. You know, I guess I guess in my head, it's always like, oh, he's only inspiring people. But there are a few moments of real tactical brilliance in there that you explore. I mean, he, I don't know, is he responsible for the kind of like fouling strategy that we now see throughout modern basketball? I mean, he, you know, he did have that, those basketball chops.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It was really important to the players that we understood Valvano's tactical brilliance. That was part of why... They were so mesmerized by him. The way they defended Ralph Sampson in the ACC tournament that year, for example. Oh, yeah, Sampson really taking it over now. Virginia with their biggest lead. They're up by eight, and Jimmy Valvano says enough. Jim Valvano, on a hunch, came out with a triangle and two, something that we had not seen all year long, and he put the two guys on Ralph. And the triangle played the rest of the floor. We had something going on. You felt it. You knew it. It was like a tidal wave in a sense. Things were just starting to kind of build up. Bailey over Sampson. It's on the rim and fall. And this is the genius of the game coaching of Coach Valdano. They were so impressed with his basketball knowledge, his basketball acumen, that th- without that they would not have been willing to follow him to those crazy emotional yeah. inspirational places that they did and they, to a man they all said that what nobody outside the team ever understood was how brilliant a basketball guy he was and that was that was uh, the prerequisite for for them believing in him
0: Coming up after the break, we'll talk about Jonathan Hawke's newest 30 for 30 in which he profiles a kid heralded as the Dominican Jordan and why he thinks that story is so misunderstood. 30 for 30 podcast is brought to you by Delta Airlines. Delta flies to 300 cities around the world. That's 300 cities where everyone does the same things you do. That's 300 cities where the people in those 300 cities think they're the only ones who know about that one place. 300 cities where people miss someone in one of the other 299 cities. 300 cities where people sing in the car or in the shower or both. Poorly. Delta isn't flying to 300 cities merely to bring us together, but to show us we're not that far apart in the first place. Delta. Keep climbing. 30 for 30 podcasts are brought to you by State Farm. Whether in the game of basketball or in life, having an MVP on your side makes all the difference. In basketball, a multi-talented elite playmaker who can be called upon in crunch time not only helps the team succeed, but makes the players around them better. In life, your State Farm agent strives to be your MVP, ready to come through in the clutch when you need it the most. Whether it's buying a new home, coping with a car accident, or building the foundation for your future, you can feel confident knowing you don't have to go it alone. With a State Farm agent on your team, you'll be well-prepared for whatever life brings your way. Let's talk about your new film, Dominican Dream. You can tell us what it's about specifically, but then why don't you start by telling us if you feel like it fits into this larger, any of the larger themes we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean,
1: Felipe Lopez was... Probably the most hyped New York City schoolboy basketball player of all time. His legend was so
0: big, it was a little bit LeBron-esque. They would talk about him like he was this magical basketball player from another planet. You
1: know, he jumped over three people and he had 60 points. Lopez, three guys on him. Great move! Huh? I was like, oh, what's his name, Felipe Lopez? Is Dominican kid? They're like, yeah. <laughs> When I got a chance to see him play for the first time, the legend was real. I mean, Poppy was what it was all cracked up to be. Culminating in him being on the cover of Sports Illustrated.
0: Which at a time, all you had to say was he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a high schooler and everyone would understand how big of a deal that was. Right. This is pre-internet,
1: pre-YouTube. In terms of setting the conversation... It was Sports Illustrated, and the cover is Sports Illustrated. That was the one thing that every single sports fan in America, you knew who was on the cover of SI
0: that week, and that mattered. How old is he at that point? Uh, He he was 19. He had just graduated high school. Right. It's not just about him. Somewhere on that cover, it also says the Big East is back. So it's kind of like not only here's a really good 19-year-old player, but here is somehow a guy who's going to rescue – an entire conference and a conference that really matters in some way. So it was really like a hopes and dreams of an entire community kind of thing.
1: There were three other freshmen in the big East who were featured inside the magazine, Alan Iverson, no. Chris Herron, mm-hmm. who's a BC and Ray Allen. But the one they put on the cover was Felipe Lopez, you know, probably the one, the fewest people have heard of. So How do we tell the Felipe Lopez story? Well, you know, here's a guy who's considered by many to be a bust. He's a failure. You know, the cover sports illustrated, can you actually ever live up to that? I think genuinely there were definitely people disappointed in him. They expected more. The Dominican Jordan. That he did not live up to. It's a sad, sad ending to a could be a beautiful story. But this is a success story disguised as a failure story. And the reason I came upon that point of view, I guess, that realization, I had just been sent by my aunt a photograph of my great-grandfather, who was uh, an immigrant from Eastern Europe, and he was selling newspapers. He had one leg, and he's selling newspapers, doesn't even have a newsstand, just a pile of papers on the sidewalk in the early 1900s. And I'm looking at this picture of my great-grandfather, and I'm saying, wow, my great-grandfather settled right around the corner from where Felipe settled in the South Bronx when his family came over. These people coming over here, Felipe coming over here at age 13 without a word of English and four years later, being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, five years later, and and having this career and being in this wonderful place in his life where he is now, this is an American success story.
0: I I could
1: not express to you how proud I was to be Dominican. If you look at what Jackie Robinson did for the African-American community and what Sandy Koufax did for the Jewish community, it's exactly what he did for our community. And if we could take that trope of the sports uh, star, the child star who didn't make it, that tragic story we all know. And you've told before, right? And yep. I've told before. But show that it's actually the story of everything that we love about our country. Everything that America speaks to the world, or at least used to, uh, about Um you know what a great story to tell
0: to your just little aside there i mean was it a story you felt you particularly wanted to tell at this moment yeah given where we are
1: absolutely and we have everybody in the film who we interviewed about felipe showing us a picture of their immigrant ancestors and telling us their own immigrant story my name is tom kinchowski I'm Polish Irish American. And this is my Chris Mullin, Irish American. These are my grandparents. My grandfather was born and raised in County Tyrone, Ireland. Hi, my name is Alex Rodriguez, and I was born in New York City. Both of my parents are from Dominican Republic. My name is Alex Perez. I'm a Dominican American, and below I'm holding a picture of my grandparents. They came to the United States in 1957, and we've been here ever since this country needs to be grateful for its immigrants. And we're certainly not that these days. So
0: I did want to tell that story that way now. And I mean, it really does come full circle back to some of the things we were talking about with Best There Never Was, not just in here's a someone who was a really, really good, and then it didn't pan out, but also the way that you know, you wanted to tell a story about racism and Philadelphia Mississippi and these other larger themes and how a community kind of overcomes these bigger themes by putting hopes and dreams in a player. And the Filippo story is is a big part of that um, as well. So, I mean, it just feels like how sports just lets you kind of tell a story about a community that you could tell from a lot of different entry points. Yeah. And I think there's, there are a million stories and uh, the ones
1: that speak to me the loudest are the ones that speak to the story beyond what happens on the field. And I think most 30 for 30s do that. Yeah. And that's why Dupree was such a great subject for the first round of them. And that's why I thought Felipe was a great subject for a 30 for 30 as well, because he's he's a sports story that causes us to rethink our assumptions about the world beyond sports. And those are the stories worth telling.
0: For sure. Jonathan, thank you very much for for chatting, and thanks for all your work over the years. Well, thank you. Really, really nice to be here. Forget the
1: NBA. This is what the American dream is. Look where I'm at. I'm in good health. I have a job. A job that I love with the NBA cares. I've found peace out here. Can I ask for a better thing than that?
0: you know, it's hockey, it's game.
1: But sometimes you can change the world. Football is like that old girlfriend, you know, you kind of hate her, but you still love her. And I said, yeah, I still love it. I know it's been kind of like a curse to me, but I still love the game. The 83 team taught me about dreaming and the importance of dreams, because nothing can happen if not first the dream. And that team taught me the persistence The idea of never, ever quitting. Don't
0: ever give up. Don't ever stop fighting. Jonathan Hawk is the director of six, yes, six 30 for 30 films. He's also done other films for us at ESPN, including some shorts. You can find all of those on our streaming service, ESPN+. Plus. Remember, the entire 30 for 30 collection and lots more good stuff is available there. So go sign up. And I will also note one other thing, which is we're going to go deeper into one of Jonathan Hawk's films later this summer. We're going to have an episode on the film Unguarded, which is the story of NBA player Chris Heron and his struggle with addiction and his really heroic and inspiring work to overcome that addiction. We're going to talk to Chris about his life and his work. There's also a really incredible new film that he is part of that's going to be debuting on ESPN soon, July 16th to be exact. So tune in for that. And then our episode with Chris Herron here in the podcast feed will be out later this summer. In the meantime, our 10th anniversary series rolls on with a new episode tomorrow. We'll talk about the film, no surprise, that we knew we had to discuss.
1: What, what is driving O.J. Simpson is that need to be known, that need to be liked, that need to be said. Hey, that's O.J. Simpson. For us, O.J. was colorless. None of the people that we associated with looked at him as a black man.
0: My conversation with O.J. Made in America director Ezra Edelman, that is tomorrow. My name is Jody Avergan. Thanks for listening.